Good morning, Veritas. Good to be with you guys this morning. We're going to jump right into Isaiah chapter 9, this ancient prophecy. Isaiah predicts Christmas 730 years before it happens. So let's see what this vision of Christmas is all about. So if you have a Bible, we're in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, or uh, it's going to be on the screen so you can follow along. It says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah's vision of Christmas is about a new government. So if you were wanting to make Christmas political, this is your angle. Right here, government is on his shoulders. To govern means to rule over. It's about a king and a kingdom. That's what we're talking about this morning. It's about a king and a kingdom. So you know what we need to be reminded of this Christmas? Here's the reminder that God's people need. It's that we are citizens of a kingdom. I think that our problem this Christmas, I know it's my problem for sure, is that I've forgotten my citizenship. I go through days forgetting my citizenship. I go through many conversations throughout the week, go through my life, and I forget about my citizenship. So what's the word for the study of government and the role and duties of its citizens? What, what kind of class would we need if we're going to address our citizenship issues? Civics. How many of you are excited this morning to uh, study some, some civics? I mean, if I could think of the last thing I would want this morning, that would be it, like a civics class. I'm here to talk about Christmas, and I'm here to hear about Christmas, and here we're going to talk about civics. And I got one, like, fist pump in the front row. Um, this, you must be a political science uh, major, but here it is. Um, we are going to have a little lesson. Verse 6, he says, a child is born. This is a birth announcement and the throne of who? Who's this child going to reign on the throne of who? I, we were doing our Advent, our family Advent. We have this cheesy, like the flannel graph cut out of a tree with all the, these different images that lead up to Advent. And uh, we just got, got uh, cheesy, kitschy, whatever your word is. And uh, there it is in, our, in the middle of our living room, this Advent tree. And so I say to my kids, He's going to reign on the throne of, and it's just silence. We've been doing this for years. I'm like, come on, kids, the throne of who? The greatest king of Israel. And the first answer is Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so some of you are like, the, when I say the throne of, some of you are like, I, uh, Lincoln? I, I don't know. What, what recent presidents? No. The throne of David. Israelites lived in a monarchy, a line of kings. From the line of David, this covenant, the Davidic covenant that God made with David, that he would not fail to have a king on the throne. And so when Isaiah says this, we've got all these defunct, dysfunctional 
kings of Israel. And so he says, we're going to have a king that's going to reign on the throne of David forever. This is incredible news. Welcome news for people living in a land of darkness that we've been talking about. Political turmoil, war, injustice. Verse 4, he says, it's an oppressive yoke of this nation called the Assyrians. These people were known for capturing nations and then taunting the captives about this heavy yoke that they were about to throw on them. Could you imagine that? We are taken over by some foreign army, and then they just taunt us all the time with this heavy yoke, iron yoke that they're going to put on our shoulders and rule over us. So this is great news for a people living in that kind of a land. And there's five things in this passage that I want us to know about our citizenship. Five things we need to know about the king and his kingdom. And the first one he describes in verse 6 is that this king, this child, is going to be a wonderful counselor. Here's the first point if you're taking notes. First thing you need to know about your citizenship and this king There's nothing he doesn't understand. There's nothing our king doesn't understand. Here's a question for you this Christmas, going into this Christmas. How many of you know the root of all of your problems? You understand everything about your health problems. You know every food that agitates your system. You know everything there is to know about all the things and challenges and complexities of your life. How many of you know all those things? How many of you understand the root of your loneliness, the root of all your anxiety, all the family dynamics that are about to happen that you're about to step into this next week? You get it all. I don't know about you, but I don't. And the saying, you know, life is like a game of chess. I don't know how to play chess. That's how we feel as we approach life, right? We've got all these problems and we don't know the answer. If you're like me, you don't know what to do. That's why you and I need a wonderful counselor. And that's great news. Life is way harder than chess. We don't know how to fix it. But the first thing you need to know about your citizenship is that it's ruled by a wonderful counselor. Jesus gets it. He gets your life. He's a wonderful guide. Wonderful counselor, helps you think through your life and and counsel you through very difficult things in your life. And he's like kind of a law counselor too, where he defends you. There's so much we could talk about, but there's nothing he doesn't understand. The second thing Isaiah says about this vision of Christmas, of the king and the kingdom, is that he's a mighty God. Mighty God. If you're taking notes, just write this down. There's nothing he can't do. There is nothing that this king is not able to do. Isn't that great news for us? The ruler of this government has the very power of God. This is no human king. We know this about Jesus because we've seen him in action. We've heard these stories of him calming the sea, right? We've seen stories of him raising the dead, multiplying some fish and loaves of bread. 
four times in the Gospels, Jesus ruins a good funeral. Do you remember this? They're carrying a coffin. They're having this funeral procession. The widow of Nain. And what does Jesus do? He walks up to the coffin and touches the coffin. And he says, young man, get up. Totally ruined that funeral. (laughs) We got Jairus, remember? Jairus, his daughter, sick. Jesus gets kind of caught up, the crowds, woman touches him, and one of the servants of Jairus comes up and says, you know, don't even bother the teacher. She's, your daughter's gone. And Jesus says, he shows up, this girl is dead. He says, oh, she didn't die, she's sleeping. And they start laughing. Again, bad joke, Jesus. It's a funeral. He ruins it again. He's like, my child, my dear child, he says, get up. That's no human king. His good friend Lazarus goes into the tomb and speaks his name, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus has like garments tied around him, wrapped around him, and he walks out. And of course, the fourth funeral that Jesus ruined was his own grave. If you're going to live as a citizen, you got to know that there's nothing that our king cannot do. So what is it that you are facing? What impossible checkmate situation do you find yourself in this morning? Our king is a mighty God, and this is great news. Jesus does ruin funerals. He's going to ruin yours too. He's going to raise you from the dead, all of us. Nothing to fear. Our king is a mighty God. The third thing Isaiah says in his vision of Christmas, he says, this child is going to be the eternal father. So much could be said about this. Uh, Jesus says that, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? He shows us what God is like in flesh, God in action. So let's say this on this point. There's no relationship he can't mend. There's no relationship that he cannot mend. Holidays highlight the brokenness that exists in our families. Now, all of us have it. No matter how great your family is, there's some dynamic going on. If your family is broken, dysfunctional, it probably could be traced back to the Father. Where there is a great dad, there's probably a great family. Not always true, but mostly this is true. You could fix one thing in this broken world, what would it be? I would probably say, dads, we need some, we need some great fathers. And if you're a dad, you feel it. Right? I feel it all the time. Like, man, if I was a better leader, 
if I would be more purposeful, if I would be more patient, if I would be more thoughtful, then probably this wouldn't be the case. We all feel it. We feel our brokenness. This is great news for us that there is an eternal father. This king is an eternal father. We all need this. This is so crazy why Jesus tells us to start the Lord's Prayer with our father. Now, some of you hear this and you're thanking God for your dad. Now, I think moms are heroic in this as well. This is a dynamic unity and team thing that God has wired and designed for a mom and a dad. And, but I, I think this, this focus on the eternal father, and I want to say to you that speak to those of you who are in the room, and you might, for one reason or another, be a, a single parent. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's loss. Might be a single dad, might be a single mom, and you've got some kids. I want to say to you that your kids are not fatherless because there is a a heavenly father. I spoke to one of our SALT students. He, when he was a kid, he lost his dad. And one of the privileges of working with college students is knowing the parents, getting to meet them at different points when they come and visit. And it was Henry Elgersma's mother. And I was talking to her, and and, and she said, and I was asking, she's got all these kids. And and I said, how did you do it? And she said, after I lost my husband, those were some of the sweetest times. I know that my husband is God, and he was, there, he was a father to us. And she spoke of it with such a settled peace that, oh, it was fine because our father drew so close to us. This is great news for all of us. This is why the Lord's Prayer begins, our father, all of us. Maybe you're a child without a father or a mother. Maybe your parents are not followers of Jesus. Your citizenship means that you will never be without a father. This is great news for us. And I think when we forget our citizenship, we forget this, that we have an eternal father. Eternal doesn't mean just we have to wait for it to get it. When you become a follower of Jesus, he's your father today. Eternity means now, forever, right? He is your father today. Jesus, again, he brought God in the flesh. So if you want to know what your father is like, go read and reread the Gospels over and over so you can know what your Father in heaven is like. The fourth thing he says about our King is that he is the Prince of Peace. Oh, this is so good. He's the Prince of Peace. Here's the point I want to say from this. There's no turmoil he won't overcome. There is no turmoil he won't 
overcome. Earlier in Isaiah, in this prophecy in chapter 2, he says that they will beat their swords into plowshares. What does that mean? It means that in God's kingdom, all the resources that went into war, all the technology and the laser missiles, all of the swords and guns and weapons and nuclear bombs, all of those things that went into war now are devoted to peace in his kingdom. The sword, you look at that and man, that would make a great disc on a plow. And so we beat it into a plow and we turn that metal. And in World War II, my grandmother worked in a factory and all the resources went to making bullets and guns and all these things. Every factory, it was a canning factory in her little town, got turned into making weapons. Well, those will be reused. Now those weapons will be turned into making farm equipment and things that will promote peace in God's kingdom. Here's something I think we can all agree with. We have a peace problem in this world, right? All of us long for world peace. We long for, for this. This past year, I have been so privileged to walk with a few different people who have told me their stories of finding peace in terrible circumstances. Standing on the edge of death with less more. Les was dying of COVID, and I was with him, and he was the guy I told this story. We, we prayed together, and I said, Les, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And he said, I just want to know that Jesus is with me. And so we prayed together, and I left the room, and he told me weeks later, after he recovered, God healed him miraculously. He said, Mark, after you prayed that, when you walked out of the room, Jesus Christ sat down in my bed. And he said, I've struggled with anxiety my whole life. I have never felt that kind of peace before. I told you the story a few weeks ago about Tracy Williams. She was here last week. It's a beautiful story. She encountered Christ, was basically sedated for seven or eight or nine days, however long. And during that time, She said, I was in the presence of Jesus and I have never experienced such peace. She said, I didn't want to come home. But he said to me, I'm not done with you, Tracy. She goes, my my family's like, and people are like, Tracy, that's kind of bad to say that. Like, you don't want to come home and see your family? She's like, oh, if you've been in the presence of Jesus, you wouldn't want to come back either. After I told that story, Caroline, who sits down here in the front row, second service, she comes up to me and she tells me a story. She says, Mark, back in 1971, I was in my 20s, was hit by a drunk driver. Now, I don't know if she was dead physically. Um, It was a terrible accident with her husband and two little kids. She said, I had the same thing happen to me. As Tracy. And she described the most beautiful vision. And my wife was listening with me, and we just cried. 
And she gave my wife a hug and she said, you have never experienced this kind of peace. This is our king. He's the prince of peace. She said, I saw everything that was happening on this earth, the chaos of doctors trying to keep me alive. Like I saw it all happen. And she said, and I was at total peace. There's more from that story to tell for another time, but it was so beautiful. What is the turmoil that you're facing this morning? Living as a citizen means remembering what it's like to be in his presence, and we are in his presence. Surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't always feel his peace, but we know He's with us. Those are the four descriptions of the king. But what will his kingdom be like? Verse 7. It says his dominion will be vast. What is dominion? Dominion is the territory of sovereign control. Revelation 4, 2 through 6 describes the throne room of God. John the apostle describes it. He says, there was a rainbow that had an appearance of emerald that surrounded the throne. That's ironic now. Um, Verse four, around the throne were 24 thrones. That's amazing. Think about it. Around this throne were 24 other thrones. You had to get through like 24 kings and angels and elders, whatever these were. These, These kings with golden sashes around them that surrounded the throne. Flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal. This is the vision of God's throne room. You want to talk about the territory of sovereign control? That's dominion. Verse 7, Isaiah, in his vision of Christmas, he says, his prosperity will never end. We know this. All prosperity on earth comes and goes. Some people are old enough to remember different economic crises, wars. Some of you were in wars. You saw death. We just look at history and some... My age, we we have seen war. We've experienced struggles, but we know that prosperity and peace is not the norm. Peace is abnormal. War, unrest, rioting, chaos, that's what's normal. When you see order on earth, you can know that there has been some expression of dominion over that that reflects God in some way. Law and order is an expression of dominion. And it's beautiful when it happens and when citizens can live in peace. This is a reflection of beautiful dominion. Where you see tyranny, totalitarianism, you also see an evil expression of dominion. But in God's 
sphere of dominion. He says the prosperity will never end. He says, look at the end of verse 7, justice and righteousness forever. That makes me want to cry because there's so much sadness in our world. And we long for this, right? We all long for justice. And in his kingdom, justice and righteousness reign forever. The psalmist says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fifth thing I want you to know that we need to remember about our citizenship is there's no rebellion he won't squash. And I love the word squash. I use that on purpose because when I think of squashing stuff, I think of little children. I think of my little toddlers like seeing a little, you know, uh, maybe there's a bug an ant, maybe there's some ugly bug and it's like a roach or something. What do you do? You you just hear the squash. Like that's how easy it will be for Jesus to bring all of this injustice and chaos into order. As easy it is for your two-year-old to look at the bug and be like, that's What's going to happen? There's no rebellion that he won't bring under his sovereign lordship. It won't be hard for Jesus to do that. That's our king, and our citizenship is in that kingdom. Now, we understand that Isaiah knew this vision was in the future, right? We know that. We know he's speaking about the future. A child will be born. It took 730 years for that to be fulfilled. He knew that he lived in a land of darkness. Tradition has it that under the evil king of Manasseh, Isaiah was sawed in two with a wooden saw. Hebrews 11.37 talks about this. This presents an obvious dilemma for us. The baby came. And this is still our world. A lot like Isaiah's world. Christians still suffering. War still happening. Oh yeah, the swords aren't swords anymore, Isaiah. It got worse. We had a bad century last century. A lot of death. A lot of technology used for really bad things. Ending people's lives before they can start. We've used our technology in horrible ways. That kingdom that Isaiah described in his prophecy is not the world I have experienced. So what do we do with this? I want us to see this. Uh, Pastor Jeff helped me see this. I was thinking about this. It was 24 years ago on a freshman retreat that you showed me this passage, and I've never forgotten it. It's beautiful, and it's Luke 4, verses 16 through Uh, through 20. I want to read this. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
as usual, he entered the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Oh, this would be cool, right? Jesus shows up to church. Well, hey, Jesus is here. And so we hand him a Bible, and he flips open, he walks up, and we're like, what passage is he going to go to? So you know what he does? He flips to Isaiah chapter 61. But it wasn't a book like this. It was a scroll. So he unrolled it, and he found the place where it is written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. That's amazing. But here's what's more amazing there's something from that prophecy that he left out. Because there's one little phrase. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, is what he quoted, what he read. But he stopped in the middle of verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And everyone is waiting for the next line. But he doesn't read it. He rolls it back up and hands it back and sits down. And every person in the audience knew what the next line was. This is like the equivalent of Jesus getting up and saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and sits down. And we're like, that whosoever believeth in it. But why did he stop? What is the next line that he left out to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and what? And proclaim the day of vengeance. Didn't read that part. So far, there have been a couple thousand years between to proclaim the day of vengeance and then dot, dot, dot. When will that next line happen? When will Jesus come back and proclaim a day of vengeance, of wrath? And judgment. When will he bring under his sovereign control all of those who rebel against the lordship of Jesus Christ and his kingdom? When will this happen? We, like Isaiah, are still waiting for the fullness of the kingdom. And just like the martyrs around the throne, we cry out, How long, O Lord? How long? He is coming. So what do we do about it? How do we live as citizens while we're waiting? I have three quick things I want us to think about. The first thing is that you have a kingdom. 
You have a kingdom. What is a kingdom? Dallas Willard calls it this. He says, a kingdom is the full range of your effective will. Your kingdom is expressed. The extent of your kingdom is everywhere that your will is exerted and people do what you say. Everyone at least has a kingdom. It's called your body. You tell your hand what to do and it does it. You tell your eyes what to see and they see it. You tell your tongue what to say and it says it, right? You have a kingdom, it's your body. So what you do to live as a citizen, obvious, step number one is you surrender your will to his kingship. You surrender your body, your mind, your thoughts, your actions to the lordship of Jesus. When you forget your citizenship, you live like you're the king. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. We take out anyone that's a threat to our independence and doing what we want to do. Remember Herod in the Bible, he was the king's coming, so what does he do? He kills all the babies in this region. They estimate like, I don't know, 40, 50 babies in this area that were killed trying to stamp out the king and Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, says, there's a little King Herod in all of us. Get rid of the threat of somebody else telling us what to do with our bodies. My good friend, uh, they were at the dinner table, and his wife said to the son, uh, this little three-year-old, he stood up at the dinner table in his little seat. You know, he unbuckled himself and he stood up. And, and the mom said, uh, David, sit down. He wouldn't sit down. She said, sit down or I'll give you a spanking. And he grabbed his spoon and he held it up. He says, I'll give you a spanking, mommy. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is a picture of the little Herod in all of us, right? Like, I don't want... You telling me what to do. So we surrender our will. We put down our spoon. We sit down. We say, not my will, but yours be done. Second thing, living as a citizen means showing up with grace. If you're going to, so live as a citizen and show up with grace. I get this from Luke 4 going back to where Jesus says, I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. In John chapter three, he says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of the Lord's favor. We don't need to go around with our signs. I mean, of course, the fear of judgment to come, we need to proclaim that, but we need to be careful how we do that because we need to do it like Jesus, right? Jesus came with grace and truth. So when we show up into our dysfunctional family and our father who's absentee, not there, or he's there and he's mean, we come into that and we bring grace. We bring love into the room. And Christ is in you. And when you bring the love and grace and the year of the Lord's favor, you are bringing a taste of the kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus. Take political action this Christmas and share Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, he who converts his neighbor has performed the most practical Christian political act of all. Who cares if you win your little argument about 
COVID or the race issues or all the things. Preach the year of the Lord's favor. And finally, live as a citizen and wait in hope. Like Isaiah, we wait. Philippians 3, 18, Paul reminds us, many live as enemies of the cross. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for our Savior to come. Oh, he has the power and he will subject everything to himself. But now, today... This is the day to wait in hope. When you forget your citizenship, you wait in fear. You wait in anxiety because of the unknown future. But we know the future. He will raise our bodies to be like his glorious body. This is what it looks like to live with Jesus as your king and the kingdom that is to come. Let's pray together. I'm just gonna, as the worship team comes up, just give you some time to just wait for the Lord. Just, just, I want you to think about this phrase. Jesus, I wait for you. Just in this silence, just, Pray something like that. Jesus, I wait for you.